Welcome to this podcast about case planning and out-of-home care. My name is Natasha Wittberg and I'm a practice lead at the PSP Learning Hub. My background in the community services sector spends nearly 10 years and I hold a master in counselling. Before I start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are listening on today and pay my respects to elders, past, present and future and extend that respect to children where culture lives and grows. Today, I will be providing an overview of case planning and out-of-home care. The podcast explains the case planning process and provides some practice tips that may assist you in your work with children and young people, child hereafter, and their families and carers. The podcast came about as case planning is a cornerstone of keeping children safe. Case planning is the process used in the Permanency Support Program, PSP, to give children safety, stability, permanency, connection and well-being. A child is in out-of-home care if they have been removed from their family by the Department of Communities and Justice, DCJ, and are placed under parental responsibility of the Minister by the Children's Court. A case plan guides how caseworkers and other people support children and their families. It is a living document which is reviewed and updated to reflect the changing needs of the child and their family. An out-of-home case case plan must be developed within 30 days of a child entering out-of-home care, that is, after they are removed from their family, even if they're on interim orders from the children's court. Under PSP, there are different types of case plans depending on the child's permanency goal. Before starting the case planning process, you need to be clear about the child's permanency goal and keep the permanent placement principles in mind. You also need to adhere to the New South Wales Child Safety Standards for Permanent Care, which were developed by the New South Wales Children's Guardian, the out-of-home care sector, and key peak organisations. The standards establish the minimum requirements of agencies delivering out-of-home care services. They ensure that the rights of children are upheld and that children receive quality services. Standard 14 outlines case planning, and under this standard, the objective is for children to have stable and secure placements that meet their changing needs. Care arrangements needs reviewing regularly and following a significant change in placement or in the child's circumstances. Case plans must include the necessary supports for providing long-term, secure care arrangements and children, their families and the people caring for them must be given opportunities to participate in case planning processes. There is also the Children and Young Persons Care and Protection Act 1998. The Act does not specifically refer to case planning in PSP, though it does mandate care plans. Case planning does reflect many of things that are required of casework staff by the Act. For more information, please see the PSP Learning Hub, Fact Sheet, Legal and Policy Framework, for case planning in PSP, or visit the Children and Young Persons Care and Protection Act 1998 online. In PSP, there is a preferred order for the permanency placement of a child in out-of-home care, with restoration the preferred permanency option for a child entering care. For Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island children, the permanency hierarchy is as follows. Preservation, restoration, guardianship, long-term care and adoption. 
for non-Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island children, the permanency hierarchy is slightly different. It is preservation, restoration, guardianship, adoption, and long-term care. As previously mentioned, you need to be clear about the child's permanency goal. A child can only have one permanency goal at a time. The permanency goal directs the work done with the child and family and informs the case plans. The case plan that you develop will depend on the child's permanency goal. A case plan must be developed collaboratively with the child and the people who are important in their life, and this includes their parents, carers, kin, teachers, health practitioners, and cultural or religious connections. This collaboration is not limited to participation in case plan meetings. Collaboration must be a part of your everyday casework. Casework staff are encouraged to be creative and emphatic in finding authentic ways to connect with the child's network to support the child's long life connection. An out-of-home care case plan is the roadmap we use to ensure a child's needs are being met and they have the opportunity to realize their potential. It is also a requirement for accreditation and service providers contract with DCJ. An out-of-home care case plan has five stages, with the first being planning, then developing, implementing, and followed by monitoring and reviewing. However, because case plans are a living document, it is more helpful to think of the process as a continuous cycle. Let's break down the five stages. The first one is collaborative case planning. Case planning can take time, and before a case plan can be developed, the caseworker needs to have a comprehensive understanding of the child, their family, their carers, their well-being, and their journey into care. To achieve a comprehensive understanding of a child and their family, caseworkers collect information about the eight measures of well-being for a child in out-of-home care that must be discussed at a case plan meeting. Let's break down the five stages, with one being collaborative case planning. Case planning can take time. Before a case plan can be developed, the caseworker needs to have a comprehensive understanding of the child, their family, their carers, their well-being, and their journey into care. To achieve a comprehensive understanding of a child and their family, caseworkers collect information about the eight measures of well-being for a child that have out of home care that must be discussed at a case plan meeting. And they are, one, placement and permanency goal review, two, personal identity and culture, three, family, significant relationships and contact, four, health and well-being, five, education, vocation or training, six, emotional and behavioral development, seven, social and living skills, MP relationships, and eight, legal issues, care matters, and victim compensation. The first phase of case planning is talking to a child. By having a strong relationship with a child, you can help them meaningfully participate in decisions. You must have regular contact with your child when you have primary care, case responsibility, what we call case management. This helps you to get to know the child and get to know more about the experience of trauma and how they understand this, the developmental states that they're at, their personality, their strength, any worries they may have, 
and their interests, needs and wants. A child needs to be able to understand what people are saying at the case plan meetings. So when you explain the process to a child, use language that a child can understand. Keep in mind that this will be different for all children and will depend on their age and their development. So make sure you take time to get to know the child, how they communicate, and to listen to what they want. Children will communicate in many ways. Pay attention to what they're saying, what they're showing you, or what they're doing. Try to use open-ended questions when talking to children so you can best understand what they're saying and what children need and want. Some examples of open-ended questions are, we are going to have a case planning meeting for you soon. What do you think a case planning meeting is? Another question could be, what are the things that help you feel safe? And who are the people that you feel safe around? Or what things are important to you? Open-ended questions usually begin with what, how, where, when, why, and who. Another question could be, tell me more about. Next to talking to a child, it's also important that caseworkers arrange for and speak with the people who are important to a child and who will participate in case plan meetings. And these could be their parents, significant others, including extended family and carers, any support person nominated by the child, the carer or parent, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander caseworker or a community member for an Aboriginal or and Torres Strait Islander child, a community member for a child from a migrant or refugee background after discussing this with the family and carer. It could be services working with a child, carer or parent or anyone else who may have responsibility of carrying out tasks in the case plan. Arranging for these people to participate in case planning meetings is necessary because your relationship is key in all areas of case planning. Parents, family and significant others or a part of the care team. You need to maintain open and transparent communication with all. And things you can do to involve families include use language that they understand, listen and hear their thoughts and wishes and validate their feelings, be open and honest about the case plan goal and explain how important it is for them to be part of the decision making for a child. Set clear boundaries for the meeting so that there are no surprises and consider the venue and where people will feel more comfortable to meet. Understanding a child and their families helps inform the development of the case plan or case review in a case plan meeting. A case plan meeting must occur before developing the case plan. You and your manager discussing and reviewing the case plan is not a case plan meeting. Before the meeting, ask and record the views of relevant people who are unable to attend. It might not be appropriate to have all the family attend the same meeting. Consider alternative ways to allow all the people who care about the child to have their views heard and recorded. Talk to the family about how they would like to participate. If parents, families and significant others do not want to work with you, you need to explore why this may be and work to rectify the situation. Consider where the best place to have the meeting is especially when culture is paramount or when the child attends. Meetings can be held at different venues 
and you could consider your office if this is where the child feels safe, another service where the child feels safe, or at a carer's home. But be mindful that you will need to assess the logistics around this uh, regarding who is attending and the safety of all. You need to keep in mind that for many children, coming into your in the office can be scary, off-putting, or just very boring. If a child does not want to attend the meeting, talk to them about how they would may like to participate in some other ways. You could consider getting them to write a story, draw a picture about what is important to them. You could do a video recording or writing their views down. Always consider the child's age, developmental stage and capacity when thinking about ways for a child to participate in case planning. Make sure you ask children their opinion before a decision has been made. If a child's views are not actioned, explain to them why that is the case. You must record the child's views, even if you're not able to make these a reality. The reason is that many people access their files after they're 18 years old. So make sure that the decision and their rationale are clearly recorded because it may make a difference to them. The actual case plan meeting. So planning for the meeting is important and it is good practice to check with all parties about where they feel comfortable and what day and time suits people. Arrive early to the meeting so that you're ready and set up for when people arrive. You will need to have all the resources required to conduct a meeting and this includes tables and chairs set up in a way where it promotes participation keeping in mind that these tables can sometimes be a barrier. You need access to a whiteboard or butcher's paper and markers in case you need to use this. You also need to have documentations and information that's required for the meeting that includes the few of those who may not attend. You need a template to record the minutes of the meeting and a meeting agenda. Be clear before the meeting starts who will chair the meeting and who will take the minutes and the chair of the meeting should be a manager. At the beginning of the meeting, be sure to set the scene and develop a group agreement. All parties should be aware of the purpose of the meeting and case plan goals during the planning phase. Having a clear agenda will support the meeting to remain focused. You will need to ensure that all parties are given the opportunity to have their voice heard. If the meeting would get sidetracked, Bring the focus back to the child. Your communication, including your language and tone, must be respectful, even if the meeting becomes challenging. When talking about tasks, be sure that the party that is responsible for completing it understands what they need to do, when it needs to be completed by, and who will check that it has been done. This brings us to stage two, developing the out-of-home care case plan. Once a case plan meeting has been held and the caseworker has compiled the views of all the people important to the child, they must write the case plan. The case plan is the roadmap the child's care team will follow to support the child to live a happy, healthy and satisfying life. The case plan sets goals and objectives against the eight measures of well-being as discussed earlier and they include the strengths of the child, care and family that supports the child's well-being the goals that are SMART, which means specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-limited. 
It also includes what needs to be done and who needs to do it, when something needs to be done by, and whether the case plan is on track and what has to be done to resolve any issues. A complete case plan must be reviewed with the child, parent and carers to ensure it reflects the discussion that it is achievable. A manager of the service provider is responsible for approving the out-of-home care case plan. The approved case plan must be kept as part of the child's file and shared with DCJ via the Child Story Partner Portal or sent via email to the DCJ Child and Family District Unit, SIFDU. Documenting or writing up the case plan in language that everyone un can understand is important. People need to understand the case plan, what tasks have been allocated to them and what they need to do. So the case plan should be written soon after the case plan meeting and distributed to all parties. Ask for feedback on the document and if necessary, make changes. This supports everyone to move forward and have a clear plan. Consider developing a case plan for the child. This will be derived from the original case plan. Use a format that the child can understand based on their age, development and capacity. Use child-friendly language or pictures to help the child understand their case plan. If you are conducting a case plan review, you need to document the progress of any task, including if they have been achieved, as well as the impact they have had for the child. Always use non-blaming and child and family-friendly language in case plans. Examples could be, so instead of using placements, you could use home or live with. Instead of using contact, use family or family connection. For crisis care, maybe use temporary living with or permanent care, use living with due to. Once the out-of-home care case plan has been developed, you move to stage three and four, which is implementing and monitoring the out-of-home care case plan. The caseworker is responsible for completing objectives allocated to them or their agency. This is your day-to-day -day casework with a child. An objective might be that the child has healthy teeth. A task required to meet that objective might include ensuring an annual dental checkup is complete and any further dental recommendations are followed. In this instance, it might be the caseworker's responsibility to organize the appointment and ensure that the child can attend. The outcome of the dental appointment would need to be recorded in the child's case plan. As a caseworker, it is your responsibility to help implement the child's case plan and follow up on tasks. This is part of your everyday casework. Maintain regular communication with everyone to check in on whether the case plan tasks are being completed or what can be done to make objectives happen on time. The case plan should include a record of whether the tasks were completed and if they were not completed, the reasons as to why not. The task on meeting the needs of the child and if they are not, the reasons why not. And in that case, plan for a new task that will benefit the child. And also, a task is completed and if it has made things better for the child. 
This will help inform future case planning by saying what worked, why it worked, and how the child benefited from it. Make sure your conversations and updates are well documented. A caseworker who is not familiar with the child should be able to read their case plan and understand which tasks have been completed in the outcome, any progress that have been made towards achieving a task, and whether there have been challenges in achieving a task and a work done to overcome these. If there are challenges in implementing the case plan task, you need to identify why. Keeping good relationships with everyone involved will help you know when someone might need extra support in carrying out their task. Always remember that a case plan is a living document that is also used in monitoring and reviewing stages of a case plan. Which brings us to the last stage, reviewing a case plan. Your agency might have processes and policies where you undertake regular progress reviews towards the objectives and tasks of the case plan. This is an opportunity for you to document why decisions were made, including when a task is no longer required. An out-of-home care case plan must be formally reviewed at least every 12 months. An out-of-home care case plan must be formally reviewed at least every 12 months. It must also be reviewed when a significant change occurs where the child is living or in the child's circumstances. And an example could be if the child's care becomes sick and can no longer care for the child. Another one is within two months after a final order is made for a child less than two years of age, or within four months after a final order is made for a child over the age of two. Also before a planned change of where the child lives, within 21 days after an unplanned change of where the child lives, or within 21 days after the death of the authorised carer. When arranging an out-of-home care case plan review, follow the tips and information for planning and arrange a case plan meeting found on the PSP Learning Hub. There shouldn't be any surprises if you have been providing ongoing casework. And don't forget, the rights of the child must always be the primary focus of their care. The out-of-home care case plan must uphold the child's right. For more information about the rights of children and your role in promoting these rights, please visit DCGA website. Go to Families, Protecting Kids, Keeping Children Safe and Children's Rights. You can also visit the PSP Learning Hub website and read the fact sheet legal and policy framework for case planning in PSP or visit the Children and Young Persons Care Protection Act 1998 online. I would like to finish this podcast by saying the way you work with children, families, carers and services is the key to successful outcomes for children. The way you communicate is fundamental for relationships, building and supporting successful out-of-home care case planning. The case plan is the roadmap for putting everything together for a child. Thank you for listening.